the leak of a draft decision from the U.S. Supreme Court on abortion rights has excited people who want to see the procedure outlawed. It's brought those on the other side out to Colorado's streets. You know, I've had an abortion. Yeah, and I'm glad that I was able to exercise my liberties, my rights to have control of my body and my future. But months earlier, before the draft decision was leaked, Democrats in Colorado were already moving to shore up abortion rights here in anticipation of what the conservative high court might do. They got a new law passed explicitly protecting access to abortion, and the result is that Colorado appears to be one of the few places in the middle of the country where women will be able to get legal abortions. That's hardly the end of the fight over abortion access, though. Both sides intend to go to voters again, one pushing for a total ban and the other to codify legal abortion in the state constitution. It's indicative of how this issue is never really settled. I'm Rachel Estabrook, and this is Colorado In-Depth, a podcast with special reporting from CPR News. My colleagues Benta Berkland and Andrew Kenny dug into the history of the abortion debate in Colorado for their show, Purplish. Today, we present their in-depth reporting as the country is on the precipice of large-scale change. Through the decades, Colorado is a state that set milestones, both for the cause of abortion access and the effort to outlaw it. Here are Andy and Benta. I wanted to start by taking a look at a really pivotal moment in the state's history on abortion rights. And what might surprise you is that this was well before Roe v. Wade. All right. What happened? So it starts in the 1960s. At the time, abortion was illegal in most states, except if the woman's life or health were significantly in danger. Mm -hmm. And then in 1967, Colorado became the first state in the country to decriminalize abortion in cases of rape and incest. So by today's standards, that would probably not be very impressive for people who support abortion access, right? Right. But for that time, it was a very big deal. The idea was sponsored by Dick Lamb. He was a Democratic state lawmaker who went on to become governor. What were the politics like on this? Like, I don't really picture Colorado in the 1960s as being particularly liberal. Yes, that's right. It definitely wasn't. Colorado was not a liberal state in the 60s. We had a Republican governor. Um, But this idea for this legislation came out of the American Law Institute, and that was a group of legal scholars. And they had drafted proposed language for states to adopt. And this was an effort to move away from such tight restrictions on abortion. Politics in Colorado were a lot less partisan than they are now. And there was also a sense among people on both sides of the aisle that we had a problem with uh, women who were being hurt or killed as a consequence of seeking out what was then illegal abortion care in very, very unsafe circumstances. And I think people were persuaded that something needed to be done about that. One of the people I spoke to is a longtime reproductive health care lawyer, Kevin Paul. And the fact that the, the Lamb bill had the restrictions in it that it did was reflective of the fact that it was a compromise. And Governor Lamb spoke of that very openly and said he never intended for that to be the law in Colorado forever, that it was hopefully a first step. The issue was bipartisan, and so a lot of Republicans were on board with this bill. I mean, it was signed by a Republican governor. When I first started dealing with reproductive rights issues, it was extremely 
bipartisan. That's Fuffy Mendez. She's lobbied at the Colorado State Capitol for more than 30 years, and she's the head lobbyist for Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains. I went to her to learn about the history of this issue from her side. But one of the things I also learned was that she has a really personal connection to the issue of abortion. When she was 10, Mendez's mother had an abortion back when it was still illegal. It was full-scale back alley abortion done in a kitchen on somebody's table in, you know, the inner city of New York. At the time, her mother was 28 years old, already had four children. Mendez said her father was abusive and her mother wanted to leave. And one of the key things that started to push her towards that divorce was needing to get an abortion on her fifth child because of the fact that she was being battered. Her mother came down with a severe infection afterward. Mendez still remembers being scared her mother might die. I don't know that I knew then what was going on. I just knew that she was very sick. She was cramping. She was in bed. She was hemorrhaging. It was quite frightening. So you can imagine this was a pivotal moment in her life and her mother's life. And Mendez also added that her mom also could have gone to jail pretty easily, except the physician who treated her for the infection did not turn her into authorities. And, you know, I also spent some time interviewing people who've worked on this issue for a long time. And you hear a lot about that pre-Roe period and how moments on both sides kind of fixed in people's memories like that. But obviously, you know, this was the kind of story that was driving the change in Colorado. These stories of people having these terrible back alley operations, lots of other states, too. And there was this momentum because after the 67 law passed in Colorado, Dozens more states would then join this movement with similar legislation. We didn't have the 67 law on the books for too long because then, of course, came the big change. In 1973, when the U.S. Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade, and this made abortion legal across the country. Yeah, guaranteed that right. And it basically took Colorado from being, you know, one of the states on the forefront, on the front lines of abortion liberalization, and suddenly made the whole nation look a lot more like what this state was doing. Yeah, suddenly abortion is legal everywhere in the country. Obviously, this is a huge victory for people who believed in its importance, but it was also the thing that galvanized a whole new movement to try to see abortion outlawed again. Let's introduce another person who's going to help us tell this story. Robin Chambers has worked against abortion in this state for decades. And I interviewed her. I asked her about her earliest memories, about kind of the galvanizing moment that we were just discussing. And she remembers the day in 1973 that Roe v. Wade was decided. She was in Missouri at the time. She was a very young girl. But she remembers the day really vividly. She said she was outside hanging laundry. It was a really overcast day. And she remembers that her mom seemed really, really off or sad that day. She'd been very quiet and things were very different in our house. The television was on, which was an unusual um, activity for us. We weren't allowed to watch a lot of TV. And I remember her um, looking at me with tears running down her cheeks. And Andrew, she said, this is a dark day in America. And of course, you know, at nine years old, you don't understand that. And I remember saying, um, you mean that 
sky, you know, because we were we were outside and you're looking at a very gray, gloomy, you know, day. And she said, no, she said, there's the reason mom had the TV on today was um, there's some, some there's some people, there's some men uh, making some decisions, making some laws. Um, and there was a law that talks about abortion being legal. And for her, that was a moment that would set off this lifetime of involvement in the anti-abortion cause. And I don't think even then she understood what, you know, kind of the gravity of the situation. And, you know, all these many years later and in, in this, the sheer number of children that we've lost to abortion, I don't think she would have had any understanding of what that dark day in America really became. Chambers would go on to work on this abortion issue in Colorado for some time. It would become a big part of her life and a lot of others. But at least here in Colorado, it would actually take quite some time after that 1973 decision for the anti-abortion movement to really gain momentum here. So we talked about Colorado's bill to expand abortion in 1967 and how that effort was bipartisan. Advocates for reproductive rights say that type of bipartisanship pretty much continued even into the 90s. They had a lot of Republican lawmakers that were allies. And in the early 90s, even the head of Planned Parenthood of the Rockies insisted that half of the board should be Republicans. I don't think I could imagine that happening today. You know, there was a fight over abortion going on almost from the time Roe was decided. There was lots of federal action. But yeah, it didn't necessarily translate to a really concentrated state-level movement. Uh, Robin Chambers said that when she moved to Colorado in the early 90s and started working with Focus on the Family, which is the fundamentalist Christian organization in Colorado Springs, even then she said abortion wasn't really the big fight. When we first moved here, um, the abortion topic really wasn't forefront. It was same-sex marriage when we first moved here. And so that kind of became the the very first political thing that I can remember focused really um, having um, conversations about. But that isn't to say nothing was happening. Like a lot of states after Roe, Colorado did pass some laws to put limits on abortions. In 1984, Colorado voters passed a ban on state funding for abortions. And then the state also passed a constitutional amendment that required parental notification. That was ruled later unconstitutional, and then it was reinstated into state law. Well, so is it still in effect now? Yes. If you're, you're pregnant and under 18, this doesn't require your parents or guardians to approve, but the parents must be notified, so they're sent a letter. A teen can seek a court order to bypass that. Okay, so we saw some back and forth, basically, different changes legally around how abortion happens, but nothing major politically in Colorado on the question of abortion itself and whether it should be allowed. Yes, and Mendez says she remembers when it wasn't that hard to defeat more restrictive abortion bills at the state house, even in the 90s, with a Republican majority. But as we've seen nationally and in Colorado, the politics of this issue has eventually become much more partisan, and the views are pretty hardened on both sides. And then you really started to see a change, both in the Republican Party, putting it on their docket and their platform. And then you started to see a sea change in terms of your more moderate, less conservative Republicans 
leaving the legislature. And, and in place of that, we're many more conservative, anti-choice individuals. You know, Robin Chambers of Focus on the Family remembers that shift, too. But I also want to establish that for her and for, I'm sure, many people opposed to abortion, this was the core value all along, the idea that a fetus or an embryo is a human life. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of the question of whether they had a political party, whether they had a political opportunity to express that belief. Go back to the Declaration of Independence where it says, you know, that we're, we're all um, give, we're supposed to be given the right to life. So Colorado's legislature, even under Republicans, hadn't been willing to do much to restrict abortion access. So people who oppose abortion have turned time and again to something else, the ballot. That's actually how Robin Chambers got more involved on abortion. Um, Colorado's seen a series of ballot measures, the first of them in 2008, that suddenly gave her a chance to vote directly on that belief about life and abortion. There was uh, a buzz around this excitement that there was a potential um, to see some more restrictions. So she is talking about a measure called the Personhood Amendment. This was a radical approach to the issue of abortion because Hmm. this amendment in, in 2008 didn't focus on abortion. Instead, it defined personhood as beginning at the moment of conception. Mm -hmm. So this was giving fertilized human eggs the same constitutional rights as a person. (laughs) It was the brainchild of a 21-year-old online law school student. I actually profiled her back then, and no one really knew who she was. I do believe Roe versus Wade should be overturned. I mean, even a lot of people on the pro-choice side say that it was a bad decision made on bad law, and that's why we're trying to define a person, and that's why Roe versus Wade should be relooked at, at least present new information. Now, I recognize that voice. I actually heard that voice just last week. <laughs> that's right. Well, that is Christy Burton-Brown. Then she was just Christy Burton, but she is the head of the state GOP party. Today. But back then, of course, like you were saying, kind of a nobody. Right. And so I remember profiling her as she was going across the state speaking to people at churches to get signatures to get this personhood measure on the ballot. Um, A a lot of those grassroots folks viewed her as this very impressive young woman Mm -hmm. uh, with a new idea. But I want to keep in mind that this measure was controversial, not just from the left, but from the right. It actually divided the anti-abortion community. Yeah, so this issue is never really simple. How did it play out then? Well, the Colorado Catholic Conference, that group worried the courts would strike down the personhood amendment and then <laughs> just end up reaffirming current abortion uh. laws. And Colorado's governor, Democrat Bill Ritter, he opposed abortion, but he thought the state could rack up huge legal bills defending the personhood amendment. Ritter was a Catholic, wasn't he? Yes, So then this also brought about criticism resistance because the idea of defining people from the beginning of conception would have all kinds of unpredictable impacts on other laws and, and, you know, the entire way our society is set up to deal with people. Right. I mean, Colorado's census count, HOV lanes, congressional districts. Then what about all of the embryos that are created and stored for fertility treatments? Are those being counted and treated as people? Well, they would be if a person had passed. So Hmm. could you freeze embryos? Could you dispose of embryos? So ultimately, the personhood amendment failed at the ballot box by two to one. A two to one margin. Wow. Creating the definition of person from the moment of conception is an absolute non-starter for the state of Colorado. They 
do believe that, you know, an individual needs to be defined as someone who is born. But supporters of the personhood amendment were were not just going to give up because it failed that first time. So they tried again two years later and, and it failed. Then in 2012, the personhood supporters didn't get enough signatures to put the measure on the ballot. Mm. Tried again in 2014, and voters also struck it down. Mm. So, you know, actually, like over time, these measures started to do a little bit better, but never came anywhere near passing. So part of what they accomplished was to make it clear that Colorado voters weren't going to bite on this personhood idea, you know, on this particular approach to abortion. Colorado voters haven't just weighed in on outline abortion. Mm -hmm. Two years ago in 2020, voters saw a much more limited proposal on the ballot, and that would have restricted abortions later in pregnancy, and that also failed. Right now, Colorado continues to be one of the few states in the country that has no limits on when an abortion can be performed during pregnancy. Yeah, and Chambers said the failure of that latest initiative was both a high watermark in terms of how many people voted for it, and a huge disappointment for people who oppose abortion because obviously it still failed. It was bittersweet for me. I was so excited to see over a million Colorado um, voters voting for greater restrictions. Um, the bitterness came in narrowly losing that. It, you know, it was. I stayed up super late that night to watch the results coming in, and was just really disappointed that that didn't pass. But there are risks for this issue with Democrats, too. And, and I just really want to quickly bring up the 2014 Senate race between Mark Udall and Cory Gardner. OK, why? Well, because abortion was a huge issue in this race. So Udall, the incumbent Democrat, kept hammering Gardner, the Republican, as being anti-abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, and Udall said if Gardner were to win that election, he might confirm anti-abortion Supreme Court justices. Mm. So this was a huge message in the campaign ads, in the debates coming from Udall, a big, big, big focus of the campaign. It comes down to respect for women and our lives. So Congressman Cory Gardner's history promoting harsh anti-abortion laws is disturbing. Gardner sponsored a bill to make abortion a felony, including cases of rape and incest. Gardner even championed an eight-year crusade to outlaw birth control. Well, and since obviously, you know, when I arrived in Colorado uh, six, seven years ago now, it was Senator Gardner and not Senator Udall. Obviously the Republican won in that race. Yes, that was a huge upset nationally. Udall lost that very competitive race, Mm. and Udall was widely seen as miscalculating on this issue, and that his focus on abortion even turned off voters who agreed with him, but they weren't scared about it in the way his campaign wanted them to be. And and it even became a, a joke almost how much this issue was brought up in the campaign. Mark Udall was dubbed Mark Uterus. Well, for supporters of abortion rights, that joke didn't turn out to be very funny because, you know, it all turned out to be right. Cory Gardner did vote to confirm President Donald Trump's judicial nominees. Uh, He wasn't, you know, the deciding vote or anything, but he was part of it. And now those justices are poised to potentially reverse Roe v. Wade. I can't tell you how many people on the left have said to me, Mark Udall was right. All that history, 
the early victories for abortion rights supporters, the political realignment that made this one of the most partisan issues in the country, Mm -hmm. the years and years that anti-abortion groups have asked voters unsuccessfully in Colorado to outlaw or restrict abortion. That brings us to right now. We are once again, whether people expected this or not, at a pivotal moment in the nation's history when it comes to abortion access. Uh, Meanwhile, the Democrats who control Colorado's state government are on the verge of passing a bill that enshrines the right to an abortion here, bans the idea of personhood for those, um, you know, fetuses and embryos, and it allows access to contraception. But that's only happening, again, because of this imminent threat to Roe v. Wade in the first place. Exactly. And that's a huge contrast to how Republican-controlled states have been preparing for the chance of Roe going away. Many have already passed what are called trigger bans. So these are laws that would go into effect to automatically ban abortion in that state if Roe v. Wade is overturned. Yeah, there's this map from, I don't know how to pronounce this, the Guttmacher Institute, which is a nonprofit advocating for abortion rights, which says that, you know, basically almost all the states, most of the states bordering Colorado are certain or likely to ban abortion. You've got Arizona, Utah, Wyoming, Nebraska, not Kansas or New Mexico, but also Oklahoma. And then Texas is not technically bordering us, but of course is very far along the path to banning abortion. And even other states just in our region or the middle part of the country, not even our neighboring states, are potentially headed that way. And some Mm -hmm. of that is already happening. Mm -hmm. States have passed such restrictive laws that many women are finding it hard to get abortion care. Uh, You mentioned Texas with what's basically five, six-week ban. But Fuffy Mendez also said it's happening in states like Montana. I have a friend who called me just the other day to say that a woman in Montana needed an abortion because she was being told by Montana that she could not get the abortion care that she needed for a fetus that had died in utero at 25 weeks. And she came to Colorado. She was able to come to Colorado and to get the care. And what's happening there is Montana has a new law It only allows abortions that late in pregnancy if the mother is at risk of dying or being seriously injured. And this woman didn't qualify. I did follow up and ask Fuffy for more details about this story, and it's a little different than what she just said. The fetus had not yet died, but the doctors found it wasn't going to survive and the woman didn't want to continue with the pregnancy. And we've been hearing more and more stories like this. So that's why this bill this year in Colorado is such a big deal for people who do support abortion, because it's not just about access to this abortion care in Colorado, but it's also, if there is this post-Roe world coming, it's a way to, and and frankly, even with the restrictions now, it's a way to preserve access for women in nearby states who can get to Colorado, turn Colorado into kind of a multi-state provider of abortion access. So even though Democrats are on this verge of victory in Colorado to maintain the status quo here with this bill, there's a sense from a lot of them that, you know, this is definitely something they wish they didn't have to do. We can't control, at least not right now, in the state of Colorado, we can't control what's going on on the federal level. All we can do is respond and respond appropriately. For Robin Chambers, you know, she said she could have never imagined that they'd be on the precipice of this enormous national victory this enormous change to Roe v. Wade. 
But at the same time, it's also a frustrating moment because, you know, you're seeing abortion rights, abortion access reemphasized in Colorado. So she's a little frustrated by that, but she's also holding out hope that, you know, the next fight is going to be at the state level and that once whatever happens at the Supreme Court happens, that suddenly that's going to refocus attention in Colorado and she hopes to make some change there at the state level once the national question is more settled. I think right now in the state of Colorado is the first time that I have felt like there is that unified voice of we're pushing back. We will not go away. We will always stand for what we know is, again, that better choice and that choice is life. That gives me hope. That gives me encouragement. There's already a really obvious next step where this debate in Colorado could go because that state law we've been talking about again, propping up, ensuring abortion access, that's only a law that could be undone by a future legislature or a governor. What could happen in the next couple of years is we could be looking at a constitutional amendment to uphold abortion rights in Colorado. So voters will have a lot more to say on this in both directions in the years to come, I would bet. Yep, that's already planned for 2024, I hear. So I think voters can expect to see that pretty soon. CPR's Benta Berkland and Andrew Kenny. The new state law they discussed was signed in April 2022. It gives people the right to abortion and contraceptive medicines in Colorado and forbids local governments and public entities from restricting that access. And it explicitly says embryos, fertilized eggs, and fetuses have no rights under the law here. You can get more in-depth reporting on the podcast Purplish. Some of their recent shows explain the history of election conspiracies in Colorado and the results of decades of efforts to curtail crime. This show was edited by Megan Verlee and produced by Shane Rumsey. I'm Rachel Estabrook. Follow this feed, Colorado In-Depth, for more deep reporting from CPR News.